War, Clausewitz wrote, is an act of violence to force the enemy to do our will. But what is will? The importance of will is the subject of this episode of The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. Welcome to Episode 73 of The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. I'm Chris Mayer, retired U.S. Cavalry Colonel, former instructor of the U.S. Army's Command and General Staff College, the Naval War College, and currently contract faculty for the Army War College. My intent for these podcasts is to be a kind of war college for everyone, not as in-depth as our national defense universities, but instead focused on what I believe to be enduring lessons of war, concepts I think every citizen should understand about war, peace, and everything in between. War is a human endeavor. It is a human clash of wills fought among populations. Clausewitz, Sun Tzu, and Thucydides were all in agreement that strength of will, or lack thereof, determines victory and defeat at every level of warfare. Loss of will ends war. But what is will? There are many definitions for the word will, but much like the term capability discussed in the previous podcast, a 2019 RAND report found that there is no generally accepted American or allied definition, explanation, or model of will, especially will to fight. How can something so important be undefined? For our purposes, and I think that of Clausewitz, the most appropriate dictionary definition I found was a determination to do something despite any conditions or obstacles. I think this is more appropriate than a similar definition being what someone wants to happen. This is because in any armed conflict, we make the decision to commit blood and treasure to accomplish that will. Therefore, this seems well beyond just what someone wants. The fundamental importance of will exists at each level of command, from individual soldier to tactical units, through senior level commands, through the National Command Authority, and the people as a whole. Loss of will at any of these levels can determine the outcome of an engagement, a battle, a campaign, or the war itself. This will to fight, or will to succeed, can be a blind passion, but more often it's guided by two factors. The belief that you can succeed, and the belief that the cost of succeeding is less than the value you place on winning. In this way, it's kind of like Clausewitz's paradoxical trinity, but played out in each individual throughout the armed forces and the entire nation. We train individual soldiers to be proficient with their weapons and how to employ them effectively. This is not only so that they can use those weapons, but also so that they have confidence in themselves and in the belief that they will use those weapons and skills better than their opponents. Further, to build the confidence that they and their teammates from squad to division can work together, relying on each other for their own protection and to defeat the enemy, even when they are outnumbered. To have the will to succeed. The Battle of Rourke's Drift, where 150 British troops fought off up to 4,000 Zulu warriors, many of whom were armed with British rifles captured earlier at Ishwalanda, is an example of a small unit's strength of will. On the other hand, as Sun Tzu said, if the soldiers lack the will to fight, it doesn't matter how well trained and equipped they are. They cannot win. Now, of course, the situation can happen that an entire military unit is completely wiped out, killed to a man. In that case, of course, the strongest will in the world isn't going to turn the tables and bring victory out of defeat. 
But so long as one or a few soldiers are left alive and determined to continue to fight, soldiers who believe that they can yet prevail even at the cost of their own lives, they remain a force to be reckoned with. They remain undefeated. And as Clausewitz also wrote, So long as I have not defeated the enemy, there remains a chance that he might defeat me. Even when defeated, however, such determined will to fight can have a positive impact on the will of other units, strengthening their resolve and turning that tactical loss into a strategic victory. Examples include the Spartans at Thermopylae and the Battle of the Alamo in the Texas War of Independence. Strength of will gains importance at higher levels of command as the will of the commander affects an ever greater number of soldiers. The will of these soldiers can be enhanced or even turned around through a commander's determination despite conditions and obstacles set before them. The example of Prussian Field Marshal Gebhardt von Blücher at Waterloo is particularly noteworthy. While marching to join with Wellington at Waterloo, the Prussian army was decisively beaten by the French under Marshal Grouchy. Blücher was knocked from his horse, which fell on him, and he was believed dead. His chief of staff took command and began to organize a retreat. When Blücher was found alive, he ordered his defeated army to turn about and attack. Four words, he said. I hear you say it's impossible, but it has to be done. I have given my promise to Wellington, and you surely wouldn't want me to break it. Push yourselves, my children, and we'll have victory. The arrival of the Prussian army on the French flank was decisive. On the other hand, weak will on the part of senior commanders can degrade or set aside the capabilities of the forces they command. In the previous podcast, episode 72, I said that to realize a capability, there must be the will to use it to its full potential. An inherently war-changing capability will not provide a practical capability to winning a war if the will to do so is weak or absent. For example, Modern weapon systems such as an aircraft carrier battle group have unmatched inherent warfighting capabilities, not just one, but many potential capabilities. But they are very expensive, and the nations that do have such ships do not have many of them. The loss of a single modern aircraft carrier may be unaffordable in material costs, military power, and intangibles such as morale and reputation. Therefore, a nation may be unwilling to expose that carrier battle group to combat. Without that will, the very expensive carrier battle group does not provide the nation with any practical military capability at all. Something like this did happen in military history. The Imperial German fleet in the First World War won a tactical victory against the British fleet in the Battle of Jutland. But it then went back to port and did not sail again for fear of losing more of its precious battleships and battlecruisers. This loss of will effectively turned a tactical victory into a strategic defeat by removing the capabilities the Imperial German fleet should have been able to provide. If, however, the soldiers are capable and willing, and the generals and admirals also demonstrate strength of will, then the battle is three-quarters won, regardless of numbers and equipment. Napoleon said, an army's effectiveness depends on its size, training, experience, and morale. And morale is worth more than any of the other factors combined. This will is the only way to realize the full capability of your soldiers and other military resources. Sun Tzu said, He will win who has military capability 
and is not interfered with by the sovereign. And there is the catch. If the national command authority restricts the means and methods available to the generals, they will be hobbled and the armed forces will not be used to its full capability. Victory is still possible, but it will take longer and cost more, which will adversely affect the will of the soldiers and the people at home. As Sun Tzu also said, if the war lasts longer and costs more, if victory is long in coming, then men's weapons will grow dull and their ardor will be dampened. And also, there is no instance of a country having benefited from a long war. This leads to what I think is the most critical piece of the will to win, the will of the people. The passions that are to be enkindled in war must already be inherent to the people. This was true when Clausewitz wrote that, in a time of the restoration of monarchies, when most of the people couldn't read, before railroads could bring people news or the telegraph could bring near instantaneous information. How much more is this true today, and especially in democracies where the people demand that their governments respond to their wishes? Most public information before and during wars are intended to promote and enkindle those passions, to stir up the will of the people. Much strategic thought of the last hundred years and more has been focused on breaking the will of the people for, again as Clausewitz wrote, the war cannot be considered to have ended so long as the enemy's will has not been broken. Strategic air power theory was intended to break that will. The father of air power theory, Giulio Douay, thought that strategic bombardment of cities by bringing the war directly to the people would drive them to rise up and demand an end to the war. Now, this didn't work when tried by either side in the Second World War, not even in Japan. Although it did not break the will of the Japanese people, the atomic bomb attacks did convince the Emperor of Japan that the war was not winnable and the cost of continuing the war was too high. But there are other ways to erode national will. In 1972, the American army was, on the whole, victorious on the battlefield in Vietnam and elsewhere in Southeast Asia. The resumption of bombing and mining of Haiphong Harbor was on the cusp of cutting off Hanoi from outside supplies and bringing that government to its knees. But we stopped. Why? Because, by 1969, the United States, as a country, lost the will to fight. Hanoi realized that all they had to do to win was just hold on. Regardless of what happened on the battlefield, the United States had already lost the war. It was only a matter of time. Time, as Clausewitz noted, benefits the weaker side. It will, and in the case of Vietnam, did, win new friends for him and weaken and divide his enemies. Of course, the will to fight is just as important to your opponent. Since war is a clash of wills, it's critically important to accurately assess your own and your opponent's will. Misjudging those competing wills has led to more than one military disaster, and we can see that misjudgment playing out in Ukraine today. So, what does this mean to you? Well, a lot, actually. We need armed forces that have the will to fight. They must believe that the price of victory, a cost that could include their own lives, is worth it. They must have the capabilities to win, which includes the tools, other resources, and the will of commanders who will use those resources to their maximum capability. You, as active citizens, can influence that. 
As General Colin Powell and former Secretary of Defense Caspar Weinberger expressed it, we must never go to war or any armed conflict without the full support of the American people. That is the most important aspect of will of them all. Without that will, do not let us send our sons and daughters off to kill other people's sons and daughters and perhaps be killed themselves. I want to finish this with an analogy most of us may have witnessed. Have you ever watched a football game where both sides seem evenly matched and neither side was scoring or defending better than the other? Then, suddenly, one side scores, and then scores again. With an amazing couple of plays or turnovers, the whole game changes. The scoring side does better and better while the other side starts to make mistakes and never recovers. They are both the same team as started the game, with the same inherent capabilities, but something changed. That something, which we might call the will to win, makes all the difference. So it is with war. In 1940, France actually outnumbered Germany in infantry, artillery, airplanes, and even tanks. The initial morale for both sides was quite high. Yes, of course, the Germans had transformed their method of war fighting to enable the full capability of their armored forces, while France was fighting as though it were 1919 with some new technology. So Germany was probably of one anyway. But after the breakthrough at Sedan, the French will to fight collapsed. Not all French forces, and not everywhere. Certainly the French forces around Dunkirk fought manfully. But even though the French army was still largely intact, as an army, as a nation, the will to beat the Germans changed, and the cri de guerre of the French army seemed to become soif qui peut, or run for your lives. When it next comes time to use the military element of national power, we as a nation must do so only with the will to victory, with the determination to win despite conditions or obstacles. We must be vigilant not to place unacceptable conditions or insurmountable obstacles upon our soldiers, marines, sailors, airmen, and guardians. They must believe that the sacrifices we will call on them to make are worth the cost. Only then will they have the capability and the will to succeed. As I close this, asking you to hit like and join me again next time, please consider what would promote the will to succeed to the members of our armed forces and what obstacles and conditions we are placing before them. And do please join me again on the ancient art of modern warfare.